all of us, no matter what podcast we're producing, you know, we need to do as good a job as possible because when our podcasts get recommended, we don't want non-podcasting people to listen and go, oh, well, this is rubbish. You know, it's badly produced or it takes too long to get to the store or the story's boring. We all need to do as good a job as we possibly can because ultimately that's what's going to help lift podcasting as a medium in this country is if we're producing great content, then people want to listen to that great content. If we're producing mediocre content, we're not going to get the numbers. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. How do I make a branded podcast in South Africa? Uh, welcome back to the How to Make a Podcast in South Africa show. I'm Jonathan Vanka, your host. And today, after much tech wrangling, I've got Spike Ballantyne, uh, owner of DBO Media. Thanks for joining me. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. And also, thanks for being here in, in human person form instead of on Zoom or yeah, something. Yeah, it makes such a difference. It's crazy. So much better. Yeah, I think I'm actually going to try and do as many of these as I can just in real life. Because, mm. look, learning curve information here, I haven't actually recorded a live interview like this for probably nigh on a year or more. Sure. So that's why we had, we are, it's so embarrassing, but we're recording this in GarageBand right now, which is basically logic, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we so, try yeah, just, just easy, easy. It's like it's okay for logic users yeah. to say that, but but, <laughs> but not for people who exactly. work in other you know adult tools. <laughs> but the funny thing is, the adult tools I, I use Reaper. I tried Hindenburg, which is a baby tool, and just neither of them would allow us to do multi track multi track recording with the two mics I have. So that was a nightmare. But now we're into it. GarageBand's doing the business, and after all, a web is a web, so it's fine. Uh, so Spike. We have a limited time today uh, because mm. you're over here in Melkbos, but you've got to be in Tableview later. Spike, you've worked in branded podcasting for since when? How long have you been doing this? Um, I've, I've been working in branded content for probably about eight years now. Okay. Podcasting specifically for the last five years. So that would be 2018 or 2019? Mm. 2019. 2019. Had podcasting reached the kind of tipping point that it's at now, or was it still kind of early days when it came, came to try to sell podcasts to a client? No, it's very early days. It, it, and and it, to me, it hasn't really advanced that much since then. Plateau is probably the wrong word, but it doesn't seem to have kicked off as much as I thought it would. Yeah. But it was still very much then a, a, a hard sell to clients. And we found that the people we were dealing with were sort of pioneers and people who are willing to take a, a chance and and very much we dealt with client direct so there was no agency involved right uh very often there was no there was no marketing person involved if the marketing person was there they were a podcast fan we were dealing with you know kind of high up management selling them on podcasts and they were the ones buying into it right so it was a difficult sell i don't know if you've had this i mean this is a leaping ahead here but my experience is that if you're trying to sell someone a podcast if they're not a podcast listener you're dead absolutely yeah it, it, that is very much the case i've found one or two clients that i've sold podcasts to the other clients are like you have a conversation as you say with someone who listens to podcasts who loves podcasts and gets what they can do and therefore you know that, that's the kind of that's the end at that is that at that uh, 
company or corporation, they, they understand it and they bring you on board. And then it's their job to convince people in the business why they're doing it. Yeah. And I'd far rather do that because, you know, it's easier for them to do it than for me. Yeah. If they have zero experience, then you have to explain a media type, like everything. Yeah. And the advantages and get their headspace out of the fact that it's not about having a million listeners. Which I think is a, a thing that we have to address with podcast producers and clients and everyone else who judges a podcast success audience size is not the metric unless no. you are trying to be have the biggest audience in the world and if yeah and, and I, I agree with you but i think the one thing about branded podcasts is that um or, or brand content is that the audience size isn't really what it's about mm. a lot of the time it's thought leadership uh it's kind of showcasing uh it's it's presenting points of view it, and it's not about obviously not about sales and, and advertising right so you know they're not particularly concerned with not having a million listeners sure um, they just want to make sure that the listeners they have got are the right ones and that the amount of listeners they have to an extent justifies the expense that they put out yeah um, but i think a lot of them from from my experience is that they're they're early adopters in the space and they're the ones realizing that at some point in the near future, and I, I honestly believe within the next 18 months to two years, we're going to see a big uptick in podcasting. Mm. Once you know, there's an understanding and there's kind of a take up in, in the public space, the clients are looking and going, well, when that happens, we want to be the ones with a backlog. Yeah. The, with, we want to be the ones with a, with a back catalog. And we go, fine. Yes, we've got a podcast. You can listen to 200 episodes. Yeah. Rather than being the guys going, oh, sure, but everyone's doing a podcast. We should do a podcast. And then having to compete uh, at that point. Well, they can relaunch with a concept, but they will have learned all those lessons yeah, know, by the time they get absolutely. there. Um, right. Well, let's reel back to where we should be starting this. A few uh, questions like, if you have been doing branded content for about eight years, is your background, because you're very old, so your background before <laughs> that, would that be in radio as well, or how um, did you come up? My background is in gramophones and tape. That's how <laughs> old I am. No, um, Just yeah. yelling from one hill to the other. <laughs> Smoke signals yeah, and such. Yeah. Um, no, my background, I started as a sound engineer uh, back in the mid-90s. Um, and then I moved from, uh, I was a studio engineer for a couple of years um, at, a, at a small private studio. Um, and we did a lot of uh, radio commercials, uh, TV final mix. Um, I recorded an album, uh, I think. Yes, I did. And then from there, I moved into radio. Uh, I met uh, one of the DJs at 5FM at the time who had interned at the same studio I was working at. And so that's how we met. And then I moved across to 5FM as a, as a daytime producer and then worked there for eight years across a number of daytime shows and then eventually heading up production. Uh, and so that was kind of the, 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 the background. I was also involved with, with TV as a writer and presenter for a while um, and did a lot of audio TV post-production, which weirdly was a good grounding for, for podcast production for, you know, the, the kind of creating, um, creating um, sort of soundscapes because in TV post-production, a lot of that stuff is put in afterwards. Yeah, And so sure. you learn to kind of develop a, a, an ear for, you know, this is the scene, what would it sound like, even though it's right in front of you. Um, it kind of you, you kind of develop that mindset, so that helped a lot with with kind of the journey into podcasting. And then from 2016, stayed with video uh, in the branded content space, and then slowly moved to podcasting. Right. So I mean, also when it comes to TV production, there's this idea of show running, right? Mm. Like Kevin Feige for Marvel and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And essentially, 
you know, podcasts, you have to be a showrunner as well. Like yeah. What's the concept? Who are the guests? Uh, the logistical organization of it and all that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And, and who's the audience? What we're trying to, what are we trying to get across is on, on, you know, another factor that you add on top of that. Yeah. Um, but, but definitely in a, in it, particularly now where there's not a big understanding of podcasting in the corporate space, you definitely have to be that showrunner and you have to keep tabs on all those things. I'm down in Cape Town as part of the team doing work for Deloitte at Mining in Darba. And, you know, we were recording stuff uh, at day two of the Indaba today. And, you know, I was on the scene with my client kind of coaching her through what we, we need to do this. We need to record this piece here. We need to record this bit here, you know, because she's wanting to throw things in there. And I'm the one trying to build a story in my mind at the same time as actually running tape and all that kind of thing. So there is very much a, a handholding process um, as part of this uh, that falls under the showrunner um, title. But in your time then, because that's an interesting kind of experience case, I suppose, of podcasting is being at an event, mm. trying to build a story mm. and cover everything and get the interviews you need and also work your clients in and all that stuff. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the show where you invite guests into a studio and you have the conversation and then you just edit it quite simply afterwards. Mm. And then there's the remote recordings. Like, are there any, I mean, have you done panel shows or like what, are, what other kind of formats have you worked in? So the formats, by and large, tend to be people around a table having a conversation. You know, that's that's where the the clients that I deal with tend to to want to have their their podcast built out of that kind of content. One of the things that I'm trying to do with all my clients is go. You know, podcasting is an immersive format. You know, we should be taking advantage of that. We should be coming to Cape Town to record things at an event. Did another recording for a client in um, Pumalanga where we went to a rhino sanctuary. Uh, and that's because I convinced them that, you know, we need to go to the rhino sanctuary. They were like, oh, well, we can record it all in studio and you can just put sound effects in afterwards. Right. And I was like, no, it's not going to sound the same. And also, you know, I don't know how authentic it's going to sound because, you know, finding the right sound effects is a difficult thing. So I'm trying my best to do more of the on-site recordings um, that we then merge with in-studio recordings. Yeah. Um, which is, which is, I'm finding quite a, a bit of success with that, um, you know, because you're using the on-location stuff to paint a picture, to draw people in, to, you know, do a scene set, a lot of time to record a lot of the content, but then occasionally you'll come back to studio and, and continue the conversation there. So that's what I'm trying to do. But by and large, the, the conversations are in studio, people around a table or people online. I, at the very least, say to my clients, we have to have one person in studio. We're not recording an entire podcast episode or series with everybody online. That makes no sense at all for me from a, a quality point of view, um, because then you might as well just record a Zoom recording and, and say, there's your podcast. For me, you want to have one person in studio. And the reason for that is you want to call it a podcast. You want to say this is done. You know, as soon as you say it's a podcast, to me, there's a there's a kind of expectation that you know there's some there's you've you're in a studio you've recorded it properly there's some polish there's some production and so by having one person in studio ideally the host you have that anchor voice and that's the person who you know the listener can recognize as okay this person's in studio and this is the person who's the host of this and then because it's you know you can contextualize whatever you're doing in a podcast you can say right i'm in studio we're joined by all these people online or yeah 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 you know, so totally. you, you do it that way mm. and so i I don't don't recommend to clients ever that we record everything online. There's always a studio component. Do you have a home studio that you record from if you are going to host and then pull people in? No, I don't record at home. I recorded a facility in Forest Town in Johannesburg, mm -hmm. um, which is we've kind of crafted into a podcast space. And then I will do my production at home. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, part of the magic of podcasting is that intimacy of having someone in your brain. When you when you hear it, there's a presence of voice that a remote recording, unless you literally send them a proper mic and set their get them to set their room up and mm. teach them proper mic technique, they'll always they're always going to sound like too far away or whatever yeah, it might be. Yeah. You know, it'll always sound inferior to a studio. Yeah. So yeah, definitely important to where you can get in person. There's also, you know, there's there's physical cues and micro expressions and all kinds of social stuff that goes with being in the same room. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, having having people online does take care of that to a certain degree. And when we by default will put uh, our recordings, our online recordings are on Riverside. We'll have a video a video component for that. Obviously, we won't edit any of that and we say to our guests we're, we've got you on video precisely as you say because it aids with the conversation you can see reactions you can see when people want to interject all those kinds of things and so that that component of it is very important when it comes to informational shows that are primarily host and guest like i ask you a question you give me an answer and there's yeah. a relatively formal idea of who's going to be speaking when right mm. Like I think then distance recording is okay, but if you have like a lifestyle show or mm. a comedy show, especially where you're riffing off each other, yeah, yeah, I think with video, any kind of lag, and you just like you lose everything there. Yeah, absolutely, especially with something like comedy where timing is is absolutely everything. Yeah, you've got to have the, you got to have the everybody in person to do that properly. Right. What is your creative process? And to preface that question, I suppose when you speak to a client. When you first speak to a client, do they tend to already have an idea? I've asked Gavin this as well, actually. Mm. Do they have an idea in their head that you have to disabuse them of? Or <laughs> do they ask you, like, what should we do? It, it, I find it's a mix of things. Um, so they, the ones that, that come to me with, a, with an idea in their head of what they want it to sound like, I'm happy to work with that because, you know, that's for me as part of client service going, cool, I'm not going to tell you, you, you know, you're wrong. Mm. But I will at the very, if it's not, um, I'll try to ramp it up if it doesn't, if I think it could be better. And when I say better, I mean in terms of what it can deliver from an audio point of view. Um, and so I'll, I'll definitely work with what they're trying to do and then, you know, you know, kind of polish it into something that sounds as immersive and engaging as possible. Right. But a lot of clients also go, well, we want to do this. And, and mining in Darby is a case in point. The brief for this recording or these series of recordings was, you know, we're going to mining in Darby. We're going to speak to these people. We need to build this into something. And we've heard what you can do with audio. And so we're relying on those expertise to pull something together. Right. And I don't know if it's, if it's the best business practice in the world, but it's very difficult to say to a client like Deloitte, okay, this is what we're going to do when we get there because it's such a fluid thing. Mm. People are walking in and out of, of, of talks. We're not even sure which of the Deloitte people are going to be there. So we're kind of connecting with them there and then and speaking to them. We can have, you can have questions and you can chat to them. You can run through those and, and get your answers. But it's very difficult to build something um, you know, to a to a, a script, if you like, if you're not sure you're going to get the people that you want. Uh, and also when you're in the confines of a conference, you know, confines is a, is a, is a kind of very loose word for what goes on at, at mining and Darby because it's 8,000 yeah. people in a, in a conference hall. <laughs> but it, it's very difficult to, to kind of build something within that space because it's just one space. I do kind of tend to go right i understand what you're trying to do and the content that you're trying to that you're trying to get across with this and then it's my job there and then on the scene to go fine this is how we're going to present this and and that's what happened today we were walking around the whole conference picking out people at random deloitte people that we could find and connect with 
asking their questions and then, you know, finding the next person. But what we were doing is we were moving around. So we were moving, you know, there were parts where, where there were times where we were outside in the, in the foyer of a, of a, of a hall that just had a talk. Uh, we were in the kind of main foyer. We were on a stairwell. We were, and I made sure that we were in different places because that then I can shape a concept out of that. And the concept um, that we delivered will be, um, is this going out? When is this going out? It's probably out already. So the concept that we delivered will be a, a kind of, if you missed mining in Darba, here's a, first of all, uh, what people said about what was said then and the kind of discussions that took place, but also a kind of audio tour of what happened. So we met so-and-so outside and this is what she said. Right. Then we moved inside and we met so-and-so for a cup of coffee and this is what he said. Then we caught up with this guy who just moderated a talk and we chatted to him in the foyer. And so we got all those interviews, but then it's my job to go find, let's get the environmental sound yeah, around yeah, yeah. that. So I've got a guy serving, you know, six people cappuccinos and, and the sound of the coffee machine. And, and it's all incidental stuff. And, you know, I've got people, you know, walking past on a stereo mic and kind of conversations, snippets of conversations in different languages, yeah. you know, so we can say this is like a multicultural, multinational thing where, you know, people from all over the world come and then you've got, you know, Chinese speakers and Indian speakers, well, what, you know, you've got Chinese speakers and French speakers and British people coming past. And so you can kind of get immersed in that and you get a sense of, of the size of the crowd because it is so dense. And so that was an example of not having a very clear brief, but being able to shape it into something that is more immersive than just people sitting around a table. Totally. Um, on a technical, from a technical perspective with 8,000 people running around, especially I know the CTICC, if you're in the foyer, like it gets loud as heck. What did you use to record those, those louder interviews? Mm. So we don't, uh, we don't stand in the middle of the crowd. We kind of move away because it's obviously, as you say, it's, it, you can't do it um, in the middle of everyone because it is too loud. Uh, so we move away, but I don't mind environmental noise because, you know, you're kind of, pres you're, you're telling people where you are. And so you can't have a totally clean recording. Oh, totally. But as so, long as they're quite present yeah, on the yeah, mic. Yeah, as long as you can hear what's going on and you, it's clear and it's not difficult and not uh, not uncomfortable to listen to, mm. that's kind of what I aim for. And then the mics we use are, I use a DJI wireless, mm -hmm. which is very similar to the Rodecaster Go or Rodecaster Wireless Go. Yeah. In fact, it's exactly the same concept. The reason that I went for the DJI is because I did a lot of research and, re and watched a lot of reviews and there's nothing to choose from them really in terms of quality and features. But the one thing that sold me on the DJI was it came with a charging case. So much like AirPods uh, in, you know, and wireless earbuds have a charging case, the DJI was sold with that. Road Wireless Go now has a case, but when I bought the system, that wasn't an option, uh, even as an aftermarket option. So that's why I chose the DJIs over the roads. Cool. Going back to your creative process, mm. if a client came to you and said, "We're," I mean, pick any example you've got, like we're this kind of brand, we want a, we want a branded podcast, um, and whether that is a an investing podcast interviewing these people or whether it's another type of show that we just want to be the sponsors of. Yeah. Like what's your process for going like how to make a, a podcast that's going to succeed? Mm. For me, there's two different recipes of that. If it's an investing podcast, for example, going, we want to speak to, you know, our stakeholders, clients or internal or whatever. That's a very preordained, very definite way of putting a podcast. It's a very specialized content that they want to hear about. They want to hear economists and leaders and, you know, talking about financial things. And so that that's a much easier sell because, you know, then you're just relying on their network of people 
and their expertise to to bring across the topics, which you then obviously have to research and then form into a, an interview, and then you still have to cut the interview together in a way that is engaging and interesting to listen to. But it's a far easier process because you know that kind of work is is there. Those people are found. You know who you're talking to. You know what you're covering. Um, it becomes a little more difficult when you know the client is someone who who wants to put a podcast together that wants to speak to a much broader audience, because then they're a company that that will talk about. You know, their, their, their business might be, I don't know, making rubber seals. Mm-hmm. And they want a podcast because they want to get their name out there, but they don't want to talk to people who, who are interested in rubber seals. And so then you have to kind of understand who their audience is because ultimately you do want some kind of ROI. So you, you want to find out who they want to be talking to yeah. and then try to find out what that audience would potentially be interested in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what topic they might find interesting. And that all depends on, you know, uh, LSM and demographic and all those kinds of things. And you kind of use that knowledge to go, right, we can focus on these kinds of topics. And then once you have an idea of, of who you're talking to, you know, and, and what you're going to be talking about, you then kind of look at the at the way in which you're going to talk to them. Is it going to be a, a fact-based thing? Is it going to be a, a fiction podcast? How are you going to deliver that message? Your first port of call is what do they want to deliver to the audience and then work back from there. For me, part of the process, especially in, in the latter case of inventing, for want of a better phrase, a podcast that they're going to create, you know, I like to think as big as possible. Think of the best possible example of that version of podcast that you could create. If budget wasn't an issue, if team size wasn't an issue, if time wasn't an issue, what would be the best version of that podcast you can create? And that might involve traveling to far-flung places, talking to famous people, whatever the case may be. And then I like to kind of scale it back to how we could apply that kind of thinking to something that we can manage locally or you know on a smaller budget, for example. Sure. So in your rubber seal example, which is, by the way, like the worst example I could like, do you mean rubber? Yeah, animal as I seals? said, I was like, are we talking about the, the seals that swim or things made of rubber that you stick in taps? Right. I'm going with rubber seals for pumps and water projects. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Should we, should we, should we narrow, should we give it a broader term and say pneumatics? Pneumatics. There we go. So, for example, thinking big, it could be like, we're going to, these are primarily used in, in pumps and, and water pipes and stuff like that. Mm. So we're going to create a podcast about the biggest water projects in the world, the yep. biggest dams, the biggest pump systems, yep. all that stuff. Exactly that. And is the big thinking like, we're going to record on location at Niagara Falls yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah, we're going to travel there. We're going to get the on location sound. We're going to speak to the engineers there. We're going to find the guy who designed it. We're going to find the company who built it. Um, and we're going to go to all those places and speak to all those people and you know get their story behind it. Okay, but you see, we're still waiting for our new fiscal budget. So mm. I don't know if we're going to have the cash for that. So yeah. if you had to pull that back a little bit, like what could be achieved with much less money than that? <laughs> well, for that kind of thing, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to find a presenter that we like um, that, is our, that, that speaks to the demographic that we're going for. And then we're going to hire a researcher who's going to find out the stories behind or find out the history and the, and the details behind all those elements that we want to include. So, you know, the construction, the science, the geology, all those things. And then we're going to find local versions of those people to chat about about how much of a challenge it might have been to do these things or, you know, to kind of expand further on those topics. Would you then, for example, say, hire someone who lives near Niagara Falls to go and record it? Yeah. So you'd find, yeah, you'd find a a tape up there and go find, not a tape up, but or an engineer there who's got a remote kit and go, please go there. And part of the brief for me would be make sure you get voices that places there. 
you know, so get, you know, um, North American voices. Yeah. And that, that, so you kind of, kind of situate yourself there. It doesn't have to be Niagara Falls. It just has to be a big-ass waterfall somewhere in North America. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, what you've essentially said when it comes to the conceptualization process is kind of like Seth Godin's thing of what's it for and who's it for, mm. right? Who's the audience and what kind of value are you giving them? And then when it comes to the production of it, like think as big as you possibly can yeah. and then find a way to, to make it work. Even if you had no budget, but you had a compelling client, for example, and you could reach out to the water engineer at Niagara Falls is not a dam, but the Hoover Dam, mm. right? And you could email them and say, can you call me from your phone from the top of the Hoover Dam and yeah. we'll do an interview like yeah. while you're there, you know, yeah. like you can make it work, you know? Yeah. And this is the beauty of, a, of, of podcasting as well, is, it, is that you're able to contextualize things for your audience. Mm. So if it's not a great recording, you know, if it's not the world's most crystal clear recording, mm. you can say, you know, we spoke to this guy, he was at the top of the Hoover Dam on his phone, and we did it this way because we wanted to give you an idea of you know, what it might sound like, or whatever the case may be. You can contextualize that particular audio, audio for your listener, and they go, cool, now I get in my head what it looks like. And so it, that kind of matches what it sounds like. So, uh, you know, you kind of manage the expectation that way. And then you can say, now imagine you're standing on top of a two kilometer tall dam. There's 60 million liters of water rushing beneath you at any yeah. given second, you know, like, so then you start to play with theater of the mind yeah, and that absolutely. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, you know, there's, there's different ways to, to skin that particular uh, pneumatics thing. You know? Yeah. You could, you could be quite literal and go, fine, let's talk about, Let's do a story on leaks and do a true crime thing or a, or a thing about the leaks that, that brought, you know, Watergate, <laughs> like for example. Like a spy, a spy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, Watergate, that's yeah. brilliant. And, and, then, and then the whole thing would be, this is why you need to stop leaks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. That's great. Uh, put that in the pitch. So let's talk about branded content and audience size and mm. goals that brands have with audiences. And, and if they do, for some reason, decide to monetize something that's essentially a marketing cost, mm. Uh, like when you have these conversations with clients, are they often of the opinion that we should just try and get the biggest audience possible? Do you have to educate them on that? And what is your general like advice on how to treat the idea of audience? I think everybody that I've dealt with um, understands that it's it's not pod, podcasting is not a, a it's not a radio campaign, and so going for the biggest audience possible is 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 not the best strategy. Um, and I, on top of that, because the topics we deal with are you know, quite corporate in nature, like mining in Darba. Right. Um, they're not going to appeal to a very broad audience, and so I think they're quite realistic in their in their expectations of, of audience size and download size. They do want to get some ROI. They do want to understand that the money they're spending is getting listens, at least some listens. Um, but they, it, it's not the final metric. Uh, yeah. You know, as far as as far as my dealings with clients go, I don't think they look at downloads as as the the ultimate metric. Um, they want to be able to say to, uh, I think particularly clients that they, you know, again, let's take mining and job and they, they can say, well, we were there. Yeah. We had the conversations. This is why you're our client because we have this yeah. kind of access. Yeah, yeah. We're so, engaged with this yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and other clients of mine, um, uh, Investec, they're doing a, a new series now that talks about the um, energy, the just energy transition in South Africa. Right. You know, and again, this is not about it, that. For me, has a much broader appeal in terms of audience, but for them, it's a case of going. We're talking, we're having these conversations now because we understand how important it is, and we're kind of giving you the inf the information you need to make decisions for your 
yourself and for your businesses and the future of, of, of where you're going with it. Right. And so for them, I think that's, that's their kind of outlook. So I, there hasn't been a lot of conversations around pure numbers. We all know that the most difficult thing with podcasts are, is audience discovery, mm. right? So with your clients, do you have to push? Do you have a say or do they come to you already with a paid media plan? Mm. Because organic is basically worthless. Most of the time, they'll come with a with a paid strategy. So they will have a, a social media team who understands what they're trying to achieve and will then leverage whatever we're doing with the podcast to help achieve that. So, you know, just because it's top of mind, mining in Darbo, the stuff we recorded today, that's already going out tomorrow as part of social media posts. Okay. So they've got snippets of the interviews and they'll go, cool, this is what we're building towards. And so they, they, they almost always have a, a paid media strategy um, that will help boost numbers. And do you find that most of the paid media strategies are pretty informed or are they still kind of trying to find the right channels and, and, and budgets and ways of communicating a podcast? Because it feels like meta ads are not really the mm. way to, you know, sell the mining and Darbo stuff. Yeah, to be perfectly straight, I, I make a very strong point when I'm engaging with clients to go, I'm not a social media guy. Mm. Like I don't, I don't... You know, social media for me is not an area that I play in. Um, I tried it. I don't like it and primarily because I don't understand it. And so I have an agency that handles my social media because I'd rather outsource that stuff. So when it comes to who they're talking, what channels they're using, I don't really have a, a conversation with them about that. Um, and I don't really advise them on that um, other than, you know, to say, as you say, Facebook's probably not the best idea. Right. But they, they I think they have a recipe that they use um, and a kind of uh, a template that they use for all their social media and they will just apply that template to, you know, the, the podcast. Okay, right, sure. Future outlook. Um, you talked earlier about, you know, you're expecting kind of a boom. It's a weird analogy, but like bubble tea has been trying to be a thing for so long now. <laughs> and now just recently, like in the last year, there's yeah. a bubble tea shop like everywhere. Yeah. And uh, I first encountered it in Japan. And when I got back, like a friend of mine who lived there, you know, at the same time as me was like, I got to bring like, the, I can get a bubble tea machine and mm. we can, it's going to be super popular. And then for years, nothing happened. Like, yeah. like VR, for example, yeah. you know, but it does feel, it does feel to me that now is kind of like the time. Like, what do you think is going to make the difference? Does it, is it just required that something languish for five years beyond <laughs> its time and then becomes adopted? There's obviously the gulf. You know, I think what for me the the thing that's going to start driving it is the awareness that's being built by the traditional media spaces. So um, you know, the prime media's of the world, hmm. um, and those traditional radio groups who are now starting to say, you know, listen to the podcast. Right. And I get that in most cases, if not all cases, it's not a podcast. It's just an archive. It's just a replay of shows that have gone before. Sure. But I think that at least that's awakening some kind of interest in in the ability to download audio and listen to it as and when. Hmm. Um, and so I think that'll that'll help uh, a lot. And I think you know we all know that the best way to discover a podcast shows by word of mouth. Hmm. And so once start pe once people start talking about podcasting. You know, it's going to start spreading. More people will start talking about podcasting, and and so I think it'll it'll grow that way. I don't think I honestly don't think we'll ever get the kinds of numbers that 
they have in in bigger markets just because it's a numbers game yeah um but i do think that it'll get to a point where it's a it's a healthy and viable marketplace mm. um for people to make a living out of so my goal with members of the SAPG is and podcasting in south africa is that people can earn a living from podcasting mm. and podcast production yeah. right like a, a workable wage instead of having it as a side hustle or a hobby or whatever yeah. it might be yeah do you think that we how long do you think it'll take before we get there it's slightly longer i think uh, because it obviously it takes time to trickle down once the awareness is there then there's so much available for people to listen to that mm. I, I think the the kind of the demand side of it might take a little while to catch up because people will be binging old episodes of serial or whatever sure so but i i do think there will come a time where people will start demanding more local content that that speaks to the stories they want to hear and and in the languages that they want to hear it yeah um so i'm hoping within you know the next 3 to 5 years we'll get to a point where we've got a really thriving industry that not only is able to produce the kinds of stories that south africans want to hear but also produces them really really well yeah you know and and allied to the goal of of getting guild members to a point where they can make a living out of podcasting um, you know, I think I want to get guild members to the point where they're able to put episodes together that sound like they were produced by the best. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just listening to a Freakonomics episode about Richard Feynman today. And it's, I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such a style, the plinky plonky piano in the background, yeah. the narrator, then cutting to interviews yeah. and like this American life at that, that's that style. Mm. And then you hear the credits at the end and it's like, 12 to 15 people are oh, on yeah. those teams making that show, yeah. you know? Yeah. One of the scariest things I heard in a, in a podcast credit roll a while ago was just before the credit roll, they were going, I want to say thanks to all these people who've been working on this episode for a year. <laughs> One episode, this team of 10, 12 people was working on for a year. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, but I mean, that's the level that they're at. So. Yeah. But we'll get there. Uh, well, with 10 minutes to go, there's a second part to this interview that I want to get into, but I think we're going to have to do it distance in this case, because, um, and just as a kind of a, like a spoiler for those listening, um, Spike and I both pitched on the same brand. <gasps> it was, it was, <laughs> I was going to ask him for advice on my pitch and I thought, wait a minute. And then I messaged him and said like, are you pitching on so-and-so? And he said, yep. I was like, oh shit, I probably can't ask him for advice in that case. But, um, but it's it's a very rare opportunity to be able to compare notes mm. about a pitch. Yeah. Talk about what you tried, what's what I tried, what Spike tried. He got the pitch. So I lost no, it. No, no, no. It's not, not confirmed yet. Is it not confirmed? Still? No, no, still not. Oh, my goodness. Pitches are the worst. I know. Because you, you mentioned the magic word the other day. Uh, you, you mentioned the magic word just now, budget. Oh, oh, interesting. Because they gave us a budget to pitch with. Yes. And has that changed? No, it hasn't changed, but they're waiting for... Can't remember the last. Uh, the last email I got was on a, was a week ago. Going, it's still going ahead, but we're just waiting for our budgets to be confirmed. I think was what right because February is the end of the financial year. I, who knows? I don't. Maybe there's a new person there somewhere. Who's, but provisionally, did they tell you like, cool, we want to go? With no, you. as far as I know, it's it's there's a shortlist, and and I'm one of the people who made the shortlist. The next step is to pitch to the fuller team oh. of people. That's where I think we're at. Okay, yeah. fascinating. Mm. Okay, then we might let's. Give it a rest, mm. and we'll wait to see if you get it, or if yeah. you don't, and then then we can just sour grapes, go of our yeah, presentations, yeah, yeah, yeah. and be like, "These the listen, one is the worst." Yeah, you know? we can listen to the podcast. And go, well, that's rubbish. <laughs> it might also be someone in the guild. That's the only problem. You <laughs> no, know, then it won't be so rubbish. Then eventually, it's like Gavin, like, "No, I got it." It's like, "Ah, oh, bugger." <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. We'll see. <laughs> um, 
So then to close off, advice for others. So if someone in the guild, if a, an amateur or a professional mm. who has just never done, someone who's never done a branded podcast, let's mm. say they run their own podcast and yeah. they've technically they're, they've, they've got it working, they sound pretty good and all that. How do you get into branded podcasts if you've never made one before? I think the, the first step is to, is to understand, uh, you know, listen to a branded podcast. Um, and kind of get a feel for for what they might sound like in a South African context. What do you recommend? Uh, Investec has got a great series called. I've heard uh, their producers <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, so there's yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, uh, the the this also kind of serves the agenda that I'm trying to do to to make podcasting more than just people sitting in a room. The Investec series was a great example of that because they bought into the idea that we need to go out and get and record stuff. What's it called? It's called uh, Future Impact. Uh, and it's about ESG, which is ecology, uh, environment, sustainab social. sustainability, and governance. Right, right. Um, and that's kind of the the theme. Green of, investing. Yeah, the theme of the podcast. Um, and so that that's a good example. But then there's other branded podcasts that I worked on uh, when I was at Cliff Central. Um, we did a series called Opposed to Innovation, which was uh, a series for BMW. Five episodes, all sort of 10 to 12 minutes long, fully um, narrative. Mm -hmm. So just narration and sound design. Nice. That suited a project that they were working on at the at the time, which was… Um, Did you say uh, opposed to innovation? Opposed, yeah, opposed, opposed to innovation. Wow, that's a very un, unexpected title from yeah. BMW, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And it was about, it was about electric, about… Um, and it was for the launch of their electric vehicles in oh. South Africa. And, and the so resistance against electric vehicles? The resistance against technologies that at first were seen as bad or unimportant or irrelevant. Right. And how they came on to change the world. Ah. Which is an idea that, that we pitched them, that we sold them. Um, they came to us and go, oh, we're launching these electric vehicles. Um, and you know, I think their thought was, well, let's do a series of podcasts about how great they are and what they look like and how far they can go. And, and you know, we said, no, that's not what you know, people, you're going to attract a motoring audience in that. Yeah. But if you widen the scope and you go, cool, look, let's look at what electric vehicles are doing and how people are polarized because they say, you know, there's range anxiety and that, you know, it's a fair, no everyone's power gonna, no, you know, the thing is that it's, it's gonna, everyone's going to switch to hydrogen anyway. The, the internal combustion engine will never die. Electric cars are, are useless. Mm. So we said, well, fine, let's look at a similar case studies in history where that's happened. And we found the telephone, powered flight, the computer, um, electricity, and the motor car itself. Sure. When they came about, all of them were, you know, derided to an extent. Dead on arrival. Yeah, yeah. You oh. know, what's the point of, of, you know, what's the point of a telephone? Was it Bill Gates? I think there's a market for maybe yeah, 50 personal computers was, around the that world. That was the chairman of IBM. Yeah. Oh, Bill, yeah, yeah. Bill Gates said the 256K RAM would be enough for anybody. <laughs> Both yeah. of which we found in our research were, were, were rubbish. They're not true. Quotes. They're not true. No. All right, right. There were some. There were some. Some clangers, but those two weren't, weren't funny. Yeah. So you know, those for, for kind of uh, research purposes, look at those two, and of course, then obviously, branded podcasts can be specialists in a room around a table talking on a topic. Yeah. So in terms of advice about wanting to go into into producing branded podcasts, my thing was and still is go for clients that you want to deal with. You know, go for clients that you, uh, you know, you, you feel you have something to offer to. Um, and a lot of my pitches start life as stuff I read on LinkedIn. And I identify clients or, or, or companies that aren't in the podcast space or perhaps are in the podcast space but be, could be doing things better. Right. And, you know, I'll conceptualize things for them and go to, you know, this is what 
podcasting can do for you. So the first is identify uh, what companies you would like to deal with. Second, identify what those companies are trying to do, who they're trying to talk to and what message they're trying to deliver to you know, their clients or their buyers or you know, internally, whatever the case may be. Um, and then the third bit is don't go there with a half-baked idea. Right. Find the right person to speak to and give them a kick-ass presentation. You yeah. Know, go there, have a, you know, design the presentation properly, go there with a well-thought-out concept, preferably go there with more than one concept. Mm. Because if you sell them one thing and they don't like it, that's it. Yeah. But if you sell them one thing and they're not sure and you go, okay, we can also do it this way, um, then you know, you've got a, a kind of broader chance of success. Sure. But then also make sure you're doing things within your abilities. Don't go and promise the Hoover Dam episode when you know there's no budget to go fly to the Hoover fly to the Hoover Dam. Sure, uh, because I, the the big thing for me is that you know all of us, no matter what podcast we're producing, you know we need to do as good a job as possible because when our podcasts get recommended, we don't want not pod we don't want non podcasting people to listen and go oh well this is rubbish you know it's badly produced or it takes too long to get to the store or the story's boring we all need to do as good a job as we possibly can because ultimately that's what's going to help lift podcasting as a medium in this country is if we're producing great content then people want to listen to that great content if we're producing mediocre mediocre content we're not going to get the numbers yeah in a world where you can watch 4K YouTube videos yeah there is an audio fidelity requirement now which yeah. is it's got to sound it can't be grating it can't be annoying can't be distorting can't be off mic uh you can't have people coughing in the background or on mic which... or my three-year-old running around watching blaze and the monster machine <laughs> <laughs> it's so unprofessional <laughs> oh, that's funny uh, so if I may share a, a final thought on the branded podcast, on the client thing, because I've, I've done a, a couple myself is mm. that my first, the way I first got a podcast client speaking as a total noob without the kind of like chops that spike has, I looked on Instagram at my theory was smallish brands with passionate audiences that cared about them. And I looked for at the time, I mean, this is quite a few years ago. So like five to 10,000 followers for a brand was pretty good. Mm. So I found just like Papa, which is a, a survival store in Cape Town and Harrington street. They do high quality, like Felraven and axes and knives oh, and well, yeah. camping gear. But like, they are like the anti Cape union mart. They're like <laughs> for like hardcore people. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, um, and I, got in contact with them through DMs on Instagram and said, mm. like, have you considered doing a podcast? And yep. they were open to it. I was very lucky because they happened to be, they happened to have a two person agency who loved podcasts. Mm. And, um, and the owner, um, he, he didn't really listen to podcasts, but he, we managed to sell him on trying it. Mm. And here, like, it was, it was interesting because I did pitch them on a concept and the idea was kind of like in the field reviews of gear while oh, wow. you were doing it. Right. Oh, that's cool. So, and, it, and I thought it was a cool pitch and I had like a promo and all that kind of stuff ready to go. And then he was like, no, let's just drink beer and I'll tell stories about how I almost died. <laughs> Even <laughs> and better. I was like, okay, cool, <laughs> rad. So the show is called The Hard Way. Uh, and it's a just like Papa podcast. And like, it's embarrassing to listen to now. Like Paolo said, if your first few yeah, episodes don't yeah. embarrass you, don't embarrass you, then you waited too long. Like the audio is in a giant cement retail store recorded on a condenser mic and a couple of labs and there's audio drift and all that yeah, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. But like, it's a, it's a fun round table, mm. just him telling stories about doing the stuff the hard way. And it was a great first foray into it. So if you're, if you're not, 
going to be approaching Investec? Or, I mean, because you've got some pretty big clients, mm. right? Like BMW, Investec, those are Deloitte's big brands. So try a couple of small passion brands that you identify with and, and you have, uh, you feel aligned with. Mm. Chat to them like a human and see if they're interested. And if someone is on their team, listens to podcasts, they will be interested, yeah. you know, yeah. at least to have a conversation about it. Because yeah. everyone's looking for a channel where they can, they can own their audience instead of buying it from Meta or Google. Yeah. So, yeah. I think one, just one thing to tack onto that is that if you're getting into it, try as you did, find, find brands that either don't have an agency or have a very small agency. Mm, mm. Because as soon as you start dealing with big brands with big agencies, then you're not dealing with the brand, you're dealing with the agency. Sure. And then you have to convince the agency that a podcasting is a good idea. And agencies, in my experience, typically don't like things that aren't their ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, your chances of success are, are much lower. Yeah. Um, so, so you know. Having been a creative in agency, I can tell you that everyone else's idea is terrible. Yeah, yeah. And then just the, the final thing from my side is, is, you know, it doesn't always have to be a huge brand. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll work your way up there. And even when you're up there, um, not that I consider myself successful in, in that regard, because I, I was driving towards Cape Town City Centre today and I saw a whole lot of high-rise buildings. Mm -hmm. And I think out of the 30 buildings that I saw, three logos I'd worked with and none of the others I'd worked with. So right. there's still a huge world to conquer. And that's you know kind of where I'm going. Sure. I saw a LinkedIn post the other day by a South African entrepreneur who's based in Texas. Right. And it was an amazing post. It was an all, and I mailed, I mailed him. I said, look, have you thought about doing a podcast? Because this is a really great post about South Africans being successful in the U S and he's really that he's got a real direction and he's got a real kind of creative direction with his stuff. And you know, his stuff has got a style and it's really great. And I happened to have a concept that I wanted to pitch him, which I did. And similar to your story, it was like, yeah, that's a cool concept, but maybe we should just do this. And so we've, we've actually done the first two recordings of a new series and he's not a huge brand. He's just a guy who's got mm. a business that helps businesses. Sure. And so, you know, that also helps and, and just pitch people, just pitch people. The worst they can do is, Sorry, the worst they could do is not respond. Yeah. The second thing, the second worst thing they could do is say no. Yeah. You know, you, you'll you'll be surprised. I think sometimes at how many people go, "Cool, that sounds interesting. Let's have a chat." Yeah. And then it's up to you to really land it. Yeah. And like that is so true. Like the amount of time that I've spent strategizing, fixing my website, yep. thinking about a new pivot thinking about creating content when i should just be emailing people <laughs> and saying do you want a podcast do yeah, you want a podcast yeah, do you want a podcast yeah. like that is the most effective way of getting yeah. more business you know so yeah get on it uh spikes thanks so much for your time i'm sorry i kept you late no worries um but good luck for the rest of your trip here and you. hopefully we'll have you in cape town again soon awesome thanks john it's been great That is it for episode three of How to Make a Podcast in South Africa. I'm Jonathan Varnke, your host. And many, many, many thanks to Spike Ballantyne for coming out to my house in Melkbostrand, uh, dealing with my toddler and being a consummate professional in the face of a lot of tech problems. Thank you very much for listening. Please share the show with someone you know who wants to make a podcast or who is making podcasts. Join up to the Guild if you haven't already. And we'll see you in the WhatsApp community. Cheers.